If you've got your Bibles this morning, we're going to continue where we left off. We've, we're looking at four areas of healing, right? Our heart, our home, our hurts, and then finally next week we'll look at um, our health. And so you're already standing, but we're going to turn to Psalm chapter 34. Psalm chapter 34, and I want us to look at verses 15 through 22. I looked at the first half of this psalm when we discussed our core value of uh, enthusiastic worship and celebration. But we're going to look at the second half of this psalm in this series when it comes to the area of true healing for real hurting. There's a kind of a key verse, what we might call a hinge verse, in the middle of the text that we'll look at. And I think it's one that we all need this morning. You found your place, Psalm 34, in verse 15. It says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil, to erase all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them from all their troubles. And here's that hinge verse, the key verse. And one that we all need, especially this morning. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those crushed in spirit. Many adversities come to the one who is righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them is broken. You might recall that that has a messianic prophecy related to it in the way that Jesus died. Evil brings death to the sinner, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord does what? He redeems the life of his servants, and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. Father, we thank you for these promises. I pray that they would become more than religious cliche, but they would become real to us this morning as your spirit and your presence becomes real to us as well. Lord, I pray that you would... Anoint me as your word is already anointed, Lord, that we might be touched by the truth of this passage in a special way today and find healing, true healing, for real hurts in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It's been several years now since a law enforcement officer showed up at my house and had to inform me that my brother-in-law had been involved in a bad accident, that they could not reach my wife. She was in a Bible study, a precept Bible study at the time, and uh, we were finally able to get word to her. I was able to go and pick her up. We sped up Highway 85 all the way to North Carolina and uh, got to the hospital, and he was barely alive, if alive at all at that time, but they informed us he was really close to being pronounced brain dead. And I'll never forget that drive with my wife going, Lord, what do I tell her? What do I say at a time like this? I was heartbroken. She was absolutely crushed with this news because her brother had been her hero. God had used her brother to help her understand the gospel early in life and in so many different ways and and even through the good times and the bad times all the things that a brother can do to you um she had come to a place where she was so grateful for him and our lives as a family and as we were praying all the way up the road 
asking God for saving him and, and for answers and all of this. I, I just I could find no words. And obviously in the hospital when they pronounced him dead, that was a difficult time. And, and more than talking with my wife, who I knew had walked close to the Lord for years, I had to talk to this family that was going to, through such a a, a difficult time of grief and loss that now I was a member of this family. I was not just a minister in this situation. I've ministered to so many of you and so many other families. I've ministered to other families through the years in times of, of great hurt, but this was my family that was experiencing this. This was a, a father-in-law and a mother-in-law who were more like a mom and a dad, and, and I had grown to love. And I'll never forget the words of my father-in-law and when he said, Robbie, I just don't know how to get my mind around this. Why would God allow this to happen to someone, uh, a man who's, who's a high school football coach and influencing so many young men in a positive way and, and had become a best friend to his dad? How, how can God allow this to happen? He said, I just can't get my mind around this. And I have to say, there's so many things that I don't understand. I remember when our first uh, child Kent was born. I remember thinking, wow, on Tina's side of the family, he has all four great grandparents and uh, his grandparents and, and this family. And we didn't know that, um, that he would not only lose all four great grandparents in, in a relatively short amount of time, but in that time that we would lose his grandparents and his uncle. Uh, sometimes all that just seems too close together and too much to handle, too much hurt, too much heartache. And as a pastor, we were, uh, unfortunately, as our church, during many of those most difficult years, we said goodbye to some young people in this church and some men who had poured themselves into my life. And at the same time, we had experienced a recent loss of a a young lady who had served mightily in this church. Some of you uh, remember Teresa Hicks and all that she had done to serve in this church. And and I just kept saying, this is just tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy, crisis upon crisis. Lord, why so much hurt in this world? And those words of my father-in-law will come back to me again and again. And I believe the Lord gave me this on the day of his funeral. I remember him asking for a study Bible like we used. He had had a Bible, and he had been in church all of his life. But, but he asked for a study Bible, and he asked for books on heaven and and uh, he wanted to know God better. And I remember making the, the, the statement that I don't think he ever quite got his arms around his faith. But I did see a point where it seemed that his faith was holding on to him, where, where when he couldn't get his mind around it, that, that God began to get his arms around him. And it was another tragic trip. Actually, it wasn't uh, thought to be a tragic trip, but when my wife and my daughter went up the highway again, but this time to be a pleasant surprise to a father and a grandfather who was going to be in the hospital having a heart catheterization. He had had heart trouble over the years, and I know that uh, even grief and loss had had its toll, among other things, in, in a hard life. But, but they were going because it was supposed to be a simple procedure, Right? And they were going to surprise him, and it was a great shock and tragedy as Kent and I were in Athens shopping for some things for 
for Bible quiz and other things he had to get dressed up for. And Tina called and said, something's going wrong. And phone call after phone call, her father had passed away, uh, had had a massive heart attack right there in the midst of uh, going for a catheterization procedure. And again, Kent and I now are speeding up the highway going, why is this happening? And after that, hearing that mom has cancer and watching her suffer from this debilitating disease, praying prayers of faith, but seeing the people that I love hurt. In Psalm 34, David is writing this. If you read the beginning of the chapter in the title, it says it's concerning David when he when he pretended to be insane. Now, some of us this morning would say, man, I've gone through much. I don't even have to pretend anymore. David pretended to be insane. He pretended to be crazy in the presence of Abimelech who had, um, who had driven him out. Now, at this point, David is probably writing this psalm. If we go back to 1 Samuel, he's probably writing this psalm in a cave. And while he's in this cave. Now, he had been a marked man by the Philistines. They're after him. They want to take his life. David had done some great things. He had been a, a hero in some of the eyes, and, and the people were singing, you know, the, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. But he had also made some questionable decisions on behalf of the king. He had done some things perhaps that he shouldn't have done as he represented Saul. And at this point, he had acted insane in order to save his own hide. He hid in a cave, and he's grappling with this, and he's thinking, as the youngest of the brothers, I'm still trying to figure out a way to save my own family and to, to figure out my role in the kingdom. Stress had hit him like perhaps never before. He was a marked man. People were out to kill him. And he begins to receive this revelation, to receive these words in Psalm 34 that were recorded for us. He was targeted because of his success, but he was hurting because of the evil around him, and he was hurting perhaps at times because of his own pride and the pride of others around him. He was frustrated by the stresses of life, and even away from his family, David was crushed in spirit. David was heartbroken. Have you ever been there? Some of you would say, I'm, I'm there right now, Pastor Robbie, and I'm here for some encouragement. David knew emotional pain. By the way, many of the hymns in the Psalms were birthed out of emotional pain. It wasn't David sitting down just saying, I feel like writing today, but it was through great seasons of tragedy in his life and heartache and heartbreak that many of the hymns in the Psalms were delivered to us today. David knew pain. We know pain. Whether it's the grief that I spoke of a moment ago that you've been through in your own family, death, loss, whether it's a broken home, as we last week talked about the subjects of a broken home, even death and divorce and heartache and heartbreak and kids hurting parents and parents hurting kids and relationships falling apart, we all know emotional pain, abuse, abandonment. For some, it's even post-traumatic 
stress that you deal with day in and day out. And in a world that is sinful and full of war, we continue to see those numbers grow of people who battle with that on a continual basis. There are certain signs that you're still in the midst of the hurt, whether you think it's obvious this morning or not. There are signs that you could look at to say, am I hurting emotionally? Are loved ones in my life hurting? You, you need to look for these things. It could be that there's a certain inner rawness about you that anytime something touches that tender spot, it hurts. It means you're still hurting. It could be that you're irritable and you lash out. It means you're still hurting. Could be that you're overly sensitive about anything that takes place and everybody around you has to walk on eggshells. You're still hurting. Could be that you're dealing with unforgiveness. You refuse to love or be loved. There's self-hate and self-harm. Even among young people today, uh, this tragedy called cutting where young people begin to cut themselves because they're already hurting anything to escape. Escapism also includes alcohol and drugs, and for some, pornography and uh, all kinds of sexual perversions that they get involved in, and we think that that's the sin and, and the surface, and that we, we see it on the surface, we think that's the problem, but deep down, they're doing all of this, and I'm not making excuses for anyone, sin is still sin, but they get involved in all kinds of of behaviors of escapism because of deep down hurts in their lives. We become irresponsible, not wanting to do what we know we ought to do because we're hurting. Bullying is a product of hurting. Now, I don't know if the problem in the world today among young people is that there are more bullies than there used to be or if we're just not as tough Uh, We don't have the tough skin that we used to have when we didn't think bullying was such a problem, but bullying takes place. And one thing I tried to train my kids, because you'll never eradicate bullies, they'll see them uh, at a young age, they'll see it in the workplace when they're older, but one thing I've tried to teach my kids is the person who bullies someone else is an insecure person who's hurting. Hurting people hurt people. And so often that bully in their life is somebody they need to pray for. They don't need to be intimidated by. They need to realize that person is a scared person, is a frightened person, and that's why they're doing what they're doing. And so it could be bullying. It could be perfectionism. It could be a sense of hopelessness. Often obsessive-compulsive behavior is a sign that somebody is hurting. And then ultimately anger with God. All of those are symptoms of something that needs to be healed, emotional, broken hearts that are still hurting. And this text also reveals to us where true healing comes from. So we know people are hurting in the world today, but where does our true healing come from? I believe it comes from these three promises that we see within this text this morning. And because the promises are there doesn't mean that it's automatic. You have to embrace the promise. That's the way the grace of God works in our life. God does not force his grace. He does not force his healing. But you can make a choice this morning to embrace these promises and enter into a process of emotional healing. Next week we're going to talk about physical healing, but I would say there are so many more people who need to experience emotional healing today. And the first promise here we have in this text 
that David, alone in a cave, is dependent upon is the very relational presence of God. The relational presence of God. Now, when I talk about the relational presence, I understand that God is omnipresent. When we begin to talk about, boy, the presence of God was in the place today. Or, man, I just, God showed up and showed out. That's the language that people like to use in church today. Man, God just showed up and showed out. Well, listen, we know that God is omnipresent. He is in all places at all times. He's even, you see in the book of Revelation chapter 14, he's even executing justice in hell for eternity. It's not the devil will run around with a pitchfork punishing everyone. God is omnipresent. So that's, the, that's what we call the spatial. That's not a country way of saying special. Spatial, S-P-A-C-I-A-L. It means in space. There is nowhere that God is not. But just because he is omnipresent doesn't mean that we all are aware of his relational presence, living in relationship with him. So verse 15 begins to speak of that relational presence of God. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, those who are in right relationship with him. Turn from sin and self and experience. Experience the grace, the saving grace of God made right because of the cross. His ears are open to the cry, their cry for help. He says, the face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil to erase their, the memory of them from the earth. Those are the ones who are not in right relationship. But we have the relational presence of God. And so the righteous cry out, verse 17, the Lord hears them. We're already told that he sees them, now he hears them. And he delivers them from their troubles. He sees it, he hears it, and he knows what we're going through. I don't know what your emotional pain is. Well, there are many of you that I do know the emotional pain because you've shared that with me. But I can promise you this. When you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, he sees it, he hears your cry, he hears your prayer, he knows what you're going through. I love the song, I believe, that is sung by Jeremy Kemp. It says, all the bitter, weary ways, endless striving day by day. You barely have the strength to pray in the valley low. And how hard your fight has been, how deep the pain within, wounds that no one else has seen hurts too much to show. All the doubt you, you're standing in, all the doubt you're standing in between and all the weight that brings you to your knees, he knows, he knows. Every hurt and every sting, he has walked the suffering, he knows, he knows. Let your burdens come undone, lift your eyes to the one who knows, he knows. The author of Hebrews says it this way, we do not have a high priest who cannot identify with the feelings of our infirmities, but we have one who was in every way tested like we are yet without sin. Then it says, let us come boldly into his throne room of grace and find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He knows, he understands, he's been there as a pastor and as a friend so many times I cannot look somebody in the eyes and honestly say, I know what you're going through. But I can point them to the one who can say that because every pain and every hurt and every sin and the consequences were all poured out on him on the cross. He's walked that journey for you. He knows, he sees, he understands, and he's been there. 
Look at verse 18. The Lord is near. It's the relational presence of God. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But the Lord is near relationally to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's one of the great benefits of worshiping him in the midst of your pain. Remember what I said the first half of this psalm is the the half that we used uh, when we looked at our core value of worship. Isn't it interesting that it was written in a time of emotional loneliness and fear and brokenness and pain? And it's out of that worship that David becomes so aware of the presence of God and can give us the second half of this. Just to be reminded, go back and look at what the first part of the psalm says. And maybe this morning, in the midst of pain, you need to celebrate who he is. It says, I will praise the Lord at all times. Not just the good times, right? He says, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Verse 3, the one that I quoted when I proposed to my wife. Proclaim or magnify the Lord's greatness with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy or how blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He's praising him in the midst of his fears and praising him in the midst of his struggles, praising him in the midst of his brokenness because praise is a big part of the healing process. Now, sometimes David cried out with great questions and said things like, how long, oh Lord, how long am I going to feel this way? How long am I going to go through this? And that's okay, but praise him anyway. Sometimes David cried out and said, I don't understand, but he praised him anyway. Sometimes David felt in his heart that there was some kind of anger against God, and he expressed that. And this morning, if you're going through a time of hurt that has you questioning God or even angry at God, let me encourage you that God is big enough to handle it. God can handle that. I believe that God would rather you stay in communication with him, even if your communication isn't always what it should be, Rather than to say, I'm so mad at God, I'm not even going to talk to him. If you begin to tell him how you feel and pour yourself out to him, at least you're opening up the channels of communication where his spirit can begin to uh, illuminate the word of God and the truths of God and the promises of God in your life. And you can become a part of that healing process and and allow God to work. So even even if you're expressing your anger, The Bible says be angry and sin not. God can use that to open those channels of communication. Paul and Silas were in prison. They were chained around their legs. It says they were in stocks, and all of a sudden they they began to sing hymns and sing praises unto God while they were in prison, and that's when the chains fell off. That's when God shook the place up and begin to set them free. Now, of course, the, the jailer in that context was like, I'm going to lose my life over this. So the prisoners didn't even leave in that, but they let God beautifully orchestrate their freedom through all of that as they stood as a witness, and even the jailer and his family came to faith in Christ. 
And so when we begin to worship God and praise Him in the midst of difficulty, it becomes a powerful witness to others. We need to worship Him so we become aware of that. He's omnipresent, but we become aware of that relational presence in the midst of worship. Secondly, the righteous protection of God. You need to know that nothing can happen to you without His permission, that He will do the right thing, even if we don't understand all of why he allows certain things to happen this side of heaven, as the old uh, song used to say, we'll understand it better by and by. We won't grasp it all this side of heaven, but nothing can happen without his permission. It says, many adversities come to the one who is righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one is broken. Nothing can happen to us right without God's sovereign permission. 500 years ago, a French Renaissance philosopher, Michel de Montaigne, made this statement. He said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. (laughs) My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. It meant because a few bad things had happened, he lived his life in fear of so many other things that had never happened. And you know that Psychologists have done studies recently to prove that many of us live this way, that 85% of the things that we fear might happen never happen. When people were recording the fears that they, of things that might happen during their life, 85% of those fears never happen. And then 80%, that's, a, that's another 12% of the total here, but 80% of the things that did happen they found out that they could handle okay by the grace of God and the strength of God. And so only 3% of those things that they feared were worth even fearing to begin with. The other 97% weren't worth the time that we spend fearing. If you're a Christian, you could say 100% of the time, I'm wasting my time in fearing because nothing can happen to me without God's permission. And by His grace, there's nothing that's going to happen to me that he can't handle. I won't say that we can't handle, but nothing can happen that he can't handle when we lean on him to watch him work in the midst of it. He's going to protect us. You might say, well, I'm the victim of somebody else's sin, and I have no control over the sinful choices that others make. And that's true. Listen to these words in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, in Verse 18, if possible, on your part, or as much as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. So if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. We might say, well, I'm hurt, and I'm going to get even, and we're not trusting God to protect us and handle this. God says, vengeance is mine. Let me handle it. You do good to those who do evil to you. You bless those who persecute you. If you're a victim, you seek to be a blessing. Uh, Are you a victim of your own sin? Just if you're here in Psalm 34, flip back a page or so to Psalm 32. David was a victim of his own sin. And he says, how happy is the one, beginning in verse 1 here, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How happy is the man whom the Lord does not charge with sin. 
and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. He was saying, I was going through deep emotional pain. I was going through deep depression because of my own sin. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and you did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you took away the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you in a time that you may be found. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. His protection was even available to the one who was suffering from the consequences of his own sins when he confessed that sin and got back in right relationship with God. He experienced the sovereign protection of God. God was even using his low place in life to bring him back to himself. And then sometimes it's not somebody else's sin that we can point to, our own sin. It's the the problem that we live in a sin-fallen world. We just live in a sin-fallen world. According to Lamentations chapter 3, God even has to allow that. God is protecting us and not allowing anything to happen to us without his permission. Grief, loss, economic pain, unexplainable tragedies. All of this can make us angry with God if we don't understand that he is sovereign and he is gracious and he's protecting us in the midst of it. And if we don't grasp the fact, and this gets into the third principle and the final principle this morning, the redemptive purpose of God. If he's allowing it, he's allowing it for a reason. If he's allowing the pain, he wants to accomplish something through the pain, and that's the redemptive purposes of God. Back in Psalm 34 and verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. He has a redemptive purpose even in the pain. And all who take refuge in him will not be punished. Jeff pointed to Romans 8, 28 a moment ago. He's working all things together for the good of them that love him or are called according to his purposes so that he might transform us into the image of his son. He's making us, even through the pain, more like Jesus. Paul said, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. And when we walk through the fellowship of suffering with Jesus, we are more conformed to the image of Christ, and we become more Christ-like for the world to see. From Psalm 34, again, flipping back a few pages to Psalm 30 and verse 11, it says, you turned my lament or my mourning into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Even in the midst of all of this pain, there's a redemptive purpose to restore us to a place of joy and dancing and shouting and praising, all with the goal, verse 22 again in Psalm 34, for those who take refuge in him. He wants to use the pain this morning to pull a man, to pull a woman, to pull a young person closer to himself. He will allow you, God will allow you to go through emotional pain, no matter how great, no matter how trivial it may seem. He will allow you to go through emotional pain so that you crawl back into the arms of Jesus and get close to him and take refuge in him again. That seems harder than physical healing. And it could be because, see, it's always a process. Emotional healing almost always involves a process. It's like our own sanctification. 
It's drawing us closer to him continually. Regardless of the cause of the pain, regardless of the cause, healing comes as the pain does one of these things in our life. Ask yourself as we close if this is what God's doing in my life. Emotional pain brings us to a place of seeking him first, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll take care of the rest. He allows us to experience emotional pain to bring you to a place of confession and repentance of sin in your own life. Maybe this is one of the purposes that he's accomplishing as he redeems the pain in your life. To bring you to a place of forgiving others. You must receive God's grace in order to extend God's grace. But if you're struggling with bitterness, it's kind of like taking the pain. If you don't forgive others in the midst of pain, if you don't release them from your own wrath, it's like taking the pain and glossing over the problem and putting it in one of those ceramic kilns and just preserving it forever so that you can hold on to that pain until it's broken and shattered again and has to be made soft again and pliable again. So maybe he's bringing you a place for your own forgiveness, but maybe it's to forgive someone else. Maybe it's to take the righteous anger, the righteous indignation, and channel it into a God-inspired movement that will place you on mission for him. The pro-life movement has been blessed by people who have had emotional pain and emotional scars and stood for righteousness with great passion. Christians in politics, many of them got into it for the right reasons because of some pain they had experienced in life. There have been things that have been invented, great inventions, like little cameras on the backs of cars because somebody lost someone because of a tragedy. Emotional pain led to something that saved the lives of many others. Outreach, reaching outside of yourself. When you come to a place in your pain where you say, why doesn't somebody do something about all of this pain? And God says, that's what you're here for. That's what I want to do in your life. And you quit focusing on yourself and you begin to focus on others and care about others and minister to others because you've been there now. God uses that for his redemptive purposes. Will you hold on to the pain or will you practice his presence, trust in his protection, and say, Lord, I'm ready to discover your redemptive purposes in all of this. Ultimately, It's a choice to let your faith be real or a decision to back away and just let your faith be cliche that doesn't really make a difference in somebody's life. What is he doing in your life through all of this? I want to ask you to be patient as God works in the lives of families and individuals this morning. I want to ask you to be patient. I want you to be prayerful. I want to ask you to give God time to work this morning. After I pray, we're going to remain seated for a moment and hear a song that I know is ministered to families in this church. If you need to get up and come to the altar during that song, you come. At the end of that song, we're going to stand and continue the invitation. I'll be here to pray with you. Maybe some ladies in here that want to grab my wife and say, 
pray for me. Maybe you find a friend or a family member with you and say, we just need to go and pray together. But after we've prayed, let this first song minister to you, speak into your life. Sing along if you know it. Pray, pray for those around you, and then we'll stand and continue the invitation. Father, as I come to you right now, I come praying for people that need healing. Healing from hurts that we cannot get our mind around. Lord, this side of heaven, so many times, all that we can ask is why. Lord, some have been the victim of somebody else's sin, something they've never asked for. And things haven't been restored to the place that they had hoped. But you can heal their pain. You can walk them through this fire, through this process. Lord, there are others here this morning that they bear the scars of choices that they've made in their own life. Lord, they can find forgiveness at the foot of the cross today and begin healing Yet there are others that still don't have answers. We live in a sin-fallen world where one crisis happens after another and we can't explain these tragedies other than our world's broken and as Romans says, groaning for the day of redemption and we break with it. Then for many of us, Lord, it's just a combination of all these things. We ask for your mercy and your grace to help us in our time of great, great need. We pray this in Jesus' name.